Tuesday at 4pm on the BBC World Service. Every week we tackle the issues and examine the big stories affecting the planet's most popular game. Sign up for the World Football Podcast at bbcworldservice.com and you won't miss a kick. You're with the BBC. Welcome to Fred World Durst. You like Iggy? Oh, I, I, you you are sorely mistaken. I, I, I play something from uh, Three Dollar Bill, y'all. What is that? That's the uh, the landmark Limp Biscuit album. Uh, Limp Biscuit. Oh my God! I mean, they, they... wait. You don't agree that those are the most crucial grooves you've heard since Funkadelic? Uh, what Limp Biscuit grooves? Yeah, absolutely. It's I like know. the ultimate cross between between Funkadelic and Rob Tyner. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't agree at all. Oh, y you do not deserve a radio show. CITR 101.9 FM, your crucial groove station. It's just a lot of BS. Wasn't it a good year? Wasn't filled with talking. It still moves through my heart from time to time. City after city, granite gray as morning. Heroes died in subways left behind, far behind like our love. You're on your own again, and you're your best again. That's what you tell yourself. I see it all the way as far as anyone could see. Except when it began, I was so happy, I didn't feel like And good evening, you are listening to 101.9 FM CITR, and for the first time in like, ooh, three weeks, something like that, it is Stereoscopic Readout, your source for psychedelia, garage rock, freak beat, acid, punk, folk rock, prog rock, and other socially and musically relevant artifacts from 1965 to today, with me, your host, Darren. And yes... I guess I, I, I drew the short straw for the scheduling because uh, obviously Thursdays you had Christmas Day and New Year's Day, which meant that there was no way anybody can get in the building. So you had to listen to The Loop. And then when it looked like I was going to be back next week, oh, it's varsity sports coverage. But I'm back. And um, I didn't... 
I didn't even like prepare a show as such. I was thinking about things I could do and there was like a lot of things I wanted to do and I was just, you know, not focused. So I kind of am doing a whole bunch of little bits of shows in one today. So anyway, started off with Scott Walker from Scott 4, released in 1969. Scott Walker, obviously Scott Engel, bassist of the Walker Brothers and super cool dude in his own right. Um... On your own, I'm sorry, on your own again, so wasn't it a good year? I don't know, 2008 was a pretty shit year, I think. And I think most of that was due to, what was that thing called? Mercury Retrograde, that was it. But uh, onwards and upwards, I think 2009's looking pretty good so far, except for the fact that we've had like three pretty notable celebrity deaths in like the last week, but I'm going to get to that in a minute. Um... Because, like, Monday, what was that? Like, third Monday, third Monday in January, statistically, is supposed to be the the most bummed-out day of the year. That's what they were saying on the radio. People report the most incidents of depression on the third Monday of the year. Or, third, yeah, third Monday of January of every year. But I was feeling pretty damn good. So I hope that's a sign. But, uh, yeah, so, like I said, we lost Patrick McGowan and Ricardo Montalban yesterday. What the hell's up with that? Mm, chocolate on my fingers mm. and um sadly we also lost i mean and if you don't know then obviously ricardo montalban con from star trek the guy from luke what was this mr rourke mr rourke on uh, fantasy island and the guy who was plugging the uh, chrysler new yorker f- like forever with the corinthian leather seats and uh, did he also do the uh Taster's Choice Coffee. Oh, that was him. And uh, so, yeah, that was that is a sad loss. Patrick McGowan, that name should be familiar to you. And if it is not, spank yourself right now. Um, responsible for one of the greatest TV shows in history, The Prisoner. Um, a TV show which thrust television into the postmodern age. Um, Patrick McGowan starred as the unnamed secret agent in the TV series The Secret Agent, naturally. When they asked him, he got one offer. Actually, he was the first person that uh, I think Broccoli went to when he was doing James Bond to play James Bond, and McGowan was getting sick and tired of the secret agent shtick. So he recommended a guy he hadn't Broccoli hadn't heard of named Sean Connery and the rest is history. They offered McGowan the option of doing a second season of The Secret Agent, but he didn't want to. He countered with his own proposal for a TV series, which he would uh, write and write and direct, I think, something like that, which ended up being The Prisoner. And on the final episode, I'm not going to give it away, but the final episode generated so much, such a shitstorm of phone calls, irate phone calls to uh, the TV series, I can't remember, which TV network it was on in Britain, ITV or Channel 4, I think it was ITV, it generated so much, so many irate telephone calls to ITV, it crashed their switchboard. Patrick McGowan, I think, I have vague memories of this, may have also been on The Muppet Show, but don't quote me on that. And obviously, he also appeared on an episode of The Simpsons where they parodied the prisoner. He, I think his voice appears on the, what's that Iron Maiden album that he's on? 
Well, there's the song The Prisoner by the by Iron Maiden. Yep. And Back in the Village by Iron Maiden, which is on Power Slave, is also about the prisoner as well. But all they used was the introduction yeah. on the Iron Maiden song. So it's just, it's the you were number one. Who is number one? Yeah. There we go. And obviously played uh, King Edward I in Braveheart, but we won't hold that against him. Anyway, um, Ron Ashton on January the 6th, guitarist from... Yes, guitarist from Iggy and the Stooges passed on. So we are going to get the ball rolling, as it were, with some Stooges. And here they are.
As a club member, I get ginormous discounts on the Friends of CITR card, which in itself, Timmy, I must say, is pretty amazing. I get dirt cheap prices at stores and shops I'm at all the time anyway. To be honest, it feels like being in a club within a club. Wow. Hey, I want a Friends of CITR card. You don't even have to be a member to get one, although clearly you'd be that much cooler if you were a member. Go purchase your friends a CITR card down at CITR or at special events they sponsor, such as concerts, membership drives, and shindig. I got it. It feels like having special powers. I go into stores and bam! Discounts. Tis what I said.
micro. We're at 8,000 feet. Television cold and I'm bored stiff. What about putting on a hot gramophone record to cheer me up? Hello? Hello? Is this Harlem 77711? Hello, fellas. This is Duke Ellington. Ah, get it. Pause. Let's get sweet and hot. In the opinion of hot music critics, Count Basie has one of the best dance orchestras in the country. King of the clarinet, Artie Shaw, and his orchestra making dance history in the Blue Room of the Hotel Lincoln in New York City. Every Thursday from 10 till noon, join me, your host, Charles Burnham, for Sweet and Hot, a celebration of the 78 RPM record, the three-minute masterpiece, and the golden age of North American songwriting. Hot jazz, swing, and popular music from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. That's every Thursday from 10 till noon here on CITR 101.9 FM. And we are back on 101.9 FM CITR here in Vancouver, UBC Campus Radio. And I'm your host, Darren. You're listening to Stereoscopic Readout, the first episode of 2009. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, what a uh, long set of music there for you. Started off with Iggy and the Stooges in honor of the passing of lead guitarist and bassist Ron Ashton and Gimme Danger off the Raw Power album. He actually plays bass on that because by that point they'd got Williamson in as their lead guitarist. Blue Cheer? From San Francisco, from their debut album, Vincibus Eruptum, Summertime Blues, cover of Eddie Cochran, obviously. And then um, some Charles Manson. Uh, some Charles Manson. Uh, and Arkansas. And, um, yeah, I thought I'd fit that in. Um, Geechee Wiley, some blues there for you with Last Kind Word Blues. I know it's not technically well it's not really the stated uh, format of the show to play blues but the blues obviously a very big influence on many of the psych bands and garage bands that you're likely to hear on the show so respect where it's due and the beach boys from the aborted smile album project um the existing or the existing tracks for smile were eventually released on the Good Vibrations box set a few years ago. And Child is the Father of the Man. I'm wondering if that's one of the ones that Van Dyke Parks co-wrote with Brian Wilson. But certainly, in my opinion, one of the creepiest things ever committed to vinyl, not just by the Beach Boys, but by anybody, certainly in that area. Era, sorry, era. <clears throat> era. And... Coming up on 27 minutes past the hour, we have a little bit over an hour left, and then I'm assuming Bleak will be in to do Exquisite Corpse. I haven't seen him in pretty much a month. Uh, he had to call in. So I, I don't know if you are listening last time, or the last show that I did. Uh, it was a little bit fraught with tension because we found out that the uh, phones were the phone wasn't working. 
you could certainly tell when somebody's calling because the flashing light was going, but I couldn't answer. That we had to like totally deadline, and we had no phone here for at least a week, as far as I know. And Bleak was frantically trying to get in touch with me, saying that he uh, had that stomach flu that was going around, and I had to cover. So I had to sort of fish for a pod, the podcast of the Feliz Navidad 2008 uh, special he wanted to do. And I had to get it off his website. And then I had to sort of piece it together in iTunes to make it play. <clears throat> but it all came out in the wash. So Bleak is in at 7.30 until 9 with Exquisite Corpse, at which point Ben takes over for live from Thunderbird Radio Hell. And he's with you until 11. And that's pretty much your listening evening for the rest of Thursday. And there's plenty of good shows on Friday, but I'm not going to get to that because I don't know, I'm, I'm just one. Yeah, mumble, mumble, mumble. Um, so where am I going with this? Oh yeah, I realized because this is also one of these shows where I've realized I, I, there's a whole bunch of things I've never actually played, and one of those is Revolution Nine by the Beatles. Now stop groaning, stop groaning. Just give it a chance. It's a very important track. You should really listen to it. Why? Uh, well, when the Beatles got back from Rishikesh, where they were studying transcendental, mented, <laughs> transcendental meditation with the Maharishi, um, they did bring enough weed in for a regular joint, but they pretty much laid off the drugs and booze. And the result was that they came back with pretty much all of the tracks for the White Album, uh, such had their creativity revived during that uh, period that they were in Rishikesh. I think John and George were there for about six weeks. Paul stayed for about three to four weeks, and Ringo only lasted about a week. But uh, they did come back with a whole whack of new songs, and the first one that they recorded was Revolution... Well, the one that is on the White Album, entitled Revolution 1. It had been mooted to be a single but the rest of the Beatles vetoed it with the excuse that it was too slow, which is why there is the faster version of Revolution. The real reason behind it, though, is that I don't think they were terribly keen on really treading the political path that hard. Um, politics and the Beatles had always sort of been gone hand-in-hand hand in a way, but... Brian Epstein had always managed to get them to play it down or at least keep uh, their political opinions to themselves. But once John had got back from Rishikesh, had his breakup with his wife Cynthia and taken up with Yoko Ono, Yoko kind of brought revolutionary theory into his life in terms of the arts anyway, and situationism and fluxus and things like that. And... John had this powerful sort of political awakening, as it were. So he, he, he had written the song Revolution in Rishikesh, but he was really gung-ho to record it and release it as a single. The Beatles weren't too keen on that, even though, the, uh, their, contempor- even though their, their main rivals, the Rolling Stones, had sort of stolen the march on them in that department by, I think at that point, recording Street Fighting Man and also having Jean-Luc Godard pop in and record or film the sessions for Sympathy for the Devil. <clears throat> the original version of Revolution 1, which was the final take, 
uh, lasted about, it was, it was about 10 minutes long. They realized that if they wanted to have it as a single, they couldn't have a single that long at the time, even though ironically, Hey Jude ended up lasting more than six minutes long and it being like the first single of uh, those sessions or first single that came off of that, rec- that se- the recording sessions for the White Album. Ergo, Revolution 1 was faded out after about four minutes, and then the sort of freeform freakout section that it had, was supposed to drift into was lopped off and then used as the basis for a new track, which John had uh, been inspired by Yoko's influence and decided to do a sort of music concrete collage, as it were, in the sort of vein of Stockhausen or... Um, no, no. And basically it was gone through in one take. I think they looped what they took off of Revolution 1. And that is why if you really listen to it, you can hear the, you can hear John Lennon screaming all right several times through it. That wasn't him doing live vocals. That was basically the bed track for Revolution 1, the end section, which they edited off coming through when they were doing their their mixing during the um during the recording process but basically abbey road at that point in 1968 still only had a four track desk there were eight track desks all over the place in fact in the states um they had already started going to 16 tracks but in uh, in britain or in london anyway it was only studios such as uh Olympic Studios, for example, or Trident or Regent Sound, independent studios not owned by a major record label, which would have an eight-track or eight-track desk. EMI at the point at that point at Abbey Road still only had four-track, and by the time they got to eight-track, which was later on in 1968, the industry had already moved up to 16 tracks. So, what would happen was. The first time, like they would have John and Yoko and uh, the studio staff would have to play what they wanted through four tape machines into the four track desk and then mix it as they went, then bounce these four tracks down into one track, clearing up another three tracks, take three record, three tape recorders full of all these sounds that they'd uh, gathered for the purpose of uh, making Revolution 9, record them through, etc., etc., etc. So it was all done in one go. I mean, not necessarily in one go, but all in one in one recording session. All this mixing and bouncing down, et cetera, et cetera, such to the fact that running one of the ta- or running the uh, the tape delay in studio one so often, um, the thing only would last eight minutes. Was it each track? To, sorry, no. Since uh, the tra- the final track is over eight minutes long, at one point the tape delay that they were using ran out and in the spirit of the experiment that they were doing, they rewound it live. So at about, <laughs> excuse me, at about three and a half minutes into the song, you can hear this uh, sound of a tape deck being rewound. Well, that's the uh, tape echo being rewound live during the recording session. Uh, if you really listen, there's a whole bunch of things that you can, uh, there's a whole bunch of things that you can really uh, hear. Uh, the only two Beatles as such, who were on the track are George Harrison and John Lennon, uh, saying various non sequitur sort of things. Uh, I think George Harrison at one point yells, says El Dorado, while John is reciting names of dance steps. He's also appears to have 
be reading from some sort of political screed or uh, a newspaper talking about labor movements and uh, economics and what have you. Let's see, there's crowd noises from f- football matches. There is part of Sibelius's Seventh synth- Symphony, the, sorry, the closing chord of it. I think that's in there too. It uh, gets looped and repeated throughout the whole uh, throughout the whole song. But anyway, I'm starting to bore you to tears. So without further ado, this is the most controversial thing the Beatles ever recorded. This is Revolution Nine. Number nine, 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 number nine.
with the situation. They are standing still upon the telegraph. Number nine. Number The twist. Eldorado. Take this, brother. May it serve you well.
check. Oh, there we go. <laughs> the Beatles and Revolution 9, the infamous legendary track from the White Album, recorded in 1968. Public opinion, obviously very polarized. Um, John Lennon loved it. Everybody else in the entire world has hated it since then. So there you go. <laughs> and obviously, the whole starting off with the number nine, number nine thing, um, not only becoming a uh, kind of a pop culture cliche, it was also very quickly picked up on by the staff at Abbey Road Studios. Uh, the number nine actually comes from the, it used to be the exam reels for the Royal Academy of Music used to be stored at Abbey Road. And John Lennon used that, a loop of uh, somebody saying number nine for whatever reason. I guess it was question nine or identifying the a piece of music. But uh, apparently for days afterwards, after the recording of that track, the staff at Abbey Road could be heard walking around the hallways going number nine number nine anyway there we go uh you're listening to stereoscopic readout on 101.9 fm citr and what else was i going to get to oh yes did some record shopping obviously over the holidays at dandelion which is at the corner of maine and broadway right next to that parking lot if you know the corner of maine and broadway there's a parking lot it's very obvious Dandelion is right across the alley from it. One of the things I got, I will be playing a, an album side for you tonight. I got the uh, Skip Bifferty album from 1967. But I also picked up a great compilation called Side Trips Volume 6, which includes my new very favorite song in the whole wide world right now. And it's another one of these classic, I wish I could tell you more about the band deals, but uh, Side Trips is a good compilation in as much as they do include a fair amount of information with the album. They do, there's about three tracks by the Phoenix um, on it, and they do talk quite a bit about the Phoenix. I will be playing one of these tracks in this next set, uh, they do talk about, there's a band from South Africa called The Flames, which they talk quite a bit about. And there's two, there are two, long, new Longboatman, I mean, not new, quote unquote new, but uh, Longboatman tracks, which I wasn't aware of. So that was the primary reason why I got the album. But uh, there's a band called The Name. And apparently it's taken off an acetate and what an acetate is is back in the day when you'd record an album obviously tape being very expensive and they'd record the uh, recession onto tape and then they'd immediately i guess like in today's terms you'd burn a you'd burn a disc of something well in those days they'd actually make a record of it on the spot off the tape then they could reuse the tape and you would have this acetate, it was called, as a master of the song. So there's a master. There's an acetate, two-sided, um, obviously, single acetate by a band called The Name. And this is side A. It is quite a stunning piece of work. I really clocked onto this the second I heard it. Oh, God. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Where the hell are we? Okay. Looking at that. Um song called Hello, Edith. It's allegedly from 1966. Side Trip seems to have done their homework on a lot of things, so I'll take their word for it, but uh, 
It really seems to bear all the hallmarks of a post Sergeant Pepper recording. I'll let you be the judge, but if um, for those of you, those of you familiar with the small faces, there's a little point in this song where is where it's going to sound very familiar to you. So. If this indeed was recorded in 66, one wonders if it may have influenced a certain section of Here Comes the Nice. But anyway, I will let you be the judge. This is it, my new favorite song in the whole wide world this week. Hello, Edith, by the name.
It's been 24 hours. Got my money? Oh, I, you know what? Just give me till next Friday. I'll have it for you. Oh. Oh, that's funny. I could have sworn I said have it today. Yeah, I don't have it. Sorry. Oh, well, all right then. Mmm, that's good, OJ. Ah! Yeah, that hurt? Ah! That hurt? What the hell? Yeah. Ah! Thank you to all the donors who pledged their financial support during the CITR on-air fund drive. We are moved by your generosity and thank you for enabling us to purchase new equipment and improve our programming. Do remember to stop by the station, pay your pledges, and pick up your prizes. We look forward to meeting you anytime between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. on weekdays. Thank you again for your amazing response. Listen to our happy voices on the air, happier after we purchase new equipment for our studios. Thanks again. You got till 5 o'clock, you hear me? You got till 5 o'clock! You freaking psychopath! Uh, clean yourself up. I'm Peter Mansbridge, and you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver.
there, now I've got the right song. balls drop off hmm? and we are back to 101.9 fm citr 
in Vancouver, UBC Campus Radio, and you're listening to the last 25 minutes of Stereoscopic Readout for this week. <clears throat> and that set was, uh, last thing you heard there was Genesis from their first album, From Genesis to Revelation, which was released in 1969. That's the track that opens Side 2, The Conqueror. One of the better tracks on the album. I think I should give it a full, well, actually, I did give it a full re-listening a little while ago, and it actually... Uh, Stands up all right. Uh, it's quite a bit like, say, Family, for example, a band like Family with. But, um, yeah, one of the better tracks, uh, what's the other one? In the Beginning probably is the best track on the album, but there's some good stuff on it. There's some stuff which shows how basically young they are. I mean, you're talking about Peter Gabriel being 18 years old when they recorded that Started off with my new favorite song in the whole wide world this week, Hello Edith by The Name, a uh, band we don't know much about, but they left behind um, kind of a demo acetate. I don't know who it was recorded for. The uh, the comp, Side Trips Volume 6, does not mention that. But um, followed them with The Peep Show, another band of whom I know almost nothing other than I think they were managed by Pete Meaden, who was the guy who kind of discovered the who. And that name's going to come back to haunt you in a second. Um, Maisie is the track a side of the only single they ever released. The Phoenix, um, a band that did release three singles. And that was, I think one of the, I think that was one of the, that was the second one. Let me see here. Do do do. Brave new sites. Live for the yeah. There we go. Second single, "Live for the Sun," released in 1968. That was also from Side Trips Volume Six. Uh, the Shakers from Sweden and Who'll Buy These Wonderful Evil Evils, and then Genesis with the Conqueror. I am unprepared. I've been. Give me a second to cue this up. Yeah, so as I mentioned, the name of The Who was going to come back and haunt you in a second, and I realized also I don't play a whole lot of Who. Good God, is that eight minutes? Uh, never mind. Um, without further... <laughs> in the immortal words of Keith Richards, ladies and gentlemen, dig The Who. Herman's been gone for nigh on a year. He was due home yesterday, but he ain't here. Her man's been gone for nigh on a year. He was due home yesterday, but he ain't here.
have. Little girl guide. Why don't you stop your crying? Here comes Ivor the engine driver to make you feel much better. That's it, steady on.
The Who. And a quick one while he's away, which was a song that uh, Pete Townsend had to come up with when they still had 10 minutes left to fill on a... Um, this 1966 album of this, which eventually was of the same name, a quick one. Their manager, Kit Lambert, son of Constance Lambert, by the way, uh, British composer Constance Lambert, uh, suggested that he just record a 10 minute song. And Pete Townsend said, Well, how do you write a 10 minute song? And Kit Lambert suggested, Well, why don't you just write three, three and a half minute songs and then just tack them together? So there you go, uh, into the final minutes of Stereoscopic Readout here on 101.9 FM CITR. Uh, I promised you side two of Skip Bifferty's one and only album, self-titled, released in 1967. Um, some pretty interesting liner notes by John Peel written on the back, which I'm not really going to get into because we only have about like 12 minutes left and I'm pretty sure that we're not going to be able to play all the music on this but i hope we can get to at least track four because that's a pretty good one um british band did not get very far in um uh, in the scene despite being hyped quite heavily by mr john peel himself but uh you've heard me play their single on love at least a couple of times on the show and i picked this up over the holidays so i'm going to be leaving you tonight with as much as I can of side two of Skip Bifferty's debut album. Um, Skip, Skip Bifferty being a band, not a guy. There's five people in it, but uh, don't have much information on them. More is the pity. I don't know if this is an original or a, re- or a reissue, but uh, this is out on Essex Records. I'm going to assume that it's a reissue because it's in pretty good condition. Anyway, uh, that's it for me for this week. And uh, up next is Bleak with Exquisite Corpse. So, fare thee well. (laughs) There we go.
Changing from the orange lane 